This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Lord, thank you for your grace and our sanctification. Lord, thank you for the cross of Christ that makes all of these things possible. Lord, may it be true of us that we, like Paul, would not boast in anything except the cross of Christ. The life, suffering, death, resurrection, ascension, giving of the Spirit, sanctification work, and ultimately glorification that's all bound up in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> short passage before us this morning. Perhaps a short sermon. <laughs> can always hope, huh? <laughs> uh, we shall see. <clears throat> see what the Lord wills. Um, there really are just a, a couple of main points that I would like uh, for us to take away from this. And one is that uh, it's just easy, easy to remember. One is that God's way is always better. God's way is always better. And that is often so hard <clears throat> to come to terms with. We would like to think, especially since we're Christians, um, that we don't have any problem with God's ways. And I don't know how many times I've heard people say, and I've said it myself, you know, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. You know, just whatever the Lord says do. And then, you know, um, things don't happen like we think they should. <laughs> and we think that, uh, well, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I didn't think it was going to go this way. But God always knows best. His way is always better. And the other thing is just simply this, that um, God knows our heart. Christ knows our heart. And even when we say those kinds of things, Lord, I'll, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, whatever it is, I'll die with you, Lord. That's what it takes. Jesus knows. Jesus knows our heart better than we know it ourselves. He knows all things. He's omniscient. He knows all things that are, and He knows all possibilities. He knows all contingencies. Any any decision that you and I are faced with, he, he knows the outcome. He knows what the outcome would be if we chose the other thing. Um, he knows all things. He knows our heart. Now, it's easy to talk about, in one sense, it's easy to talk about God being omniscient, that is, all-knowing, Christ being all-knowing. But a lot of times, practically, we, we just tend to apply that to circumstances that are that are pretty much 
outside of us. So yeah, he knows what's going on in the world. He knows that there are that there are children starving in places like Ethiopia. He he knows about the wars going on. He knows about the famines. He knows about those people that need to be reached with the gospel. He knows when catastrophe strikes like earthquakes or tsunamis or whatever. God knows. He, he, he always knows and there's nothing hidden from Him. And it's kind of easy to think in those terms in one sense. Not that we can get our mind around it fully, but, but as, as long as we keep it outside of us, we can talk about it, be happy about it. Psalm 115, we just read a moment ago. Our Lord sits in the heavens. He does whatever He wills. When it gets tougher, I think, is when when it has a more personal application. When it directly involves you and I, which it always does, by the way. We just don't always realize it. God knows, not, not only just all things out there, but God knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. And that's just a way of saying when we talk about the heart, we're not, we're not talking about a, an organ uh, in our body. We're, we're talking about the, the very core of who we are, the very core of our being. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? The implication is there that nobody can know. Nobody can know the heart, but God knows. He's the heart knower. Lord willing, we'll come back to that. Let's let's look at um, verse 30. Verse 30 is going to kind of help put us in context here for these next few verses. It's just a reminder for us that what what they're doing here is completing um, the what we call the Lord's Supper, and, and that's what it is. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper here. But also for them, it was the, the Passover feast. Um, the, this is Jesus' final Passover with His disciples. And the Passover, if you remember, we talked about it last week, commemorates uh, their deliverance from Egypt when God, uh, by display of His great and mighty power, brings out uh, the children of Israel from Egypt. And so from that night on to this, in fact, to this very day, um, Jews celebrate the Passover when, when the lamb was slain and, and, and in that case, a literal lamb, the lamb was, lamb was slain and they would take the blood by God's direction and put it on the lintel and on the doorpost. And when the destroyer came through Egypt to destroy all the firstborn in the land, he told them, when I see the blood where you've applied it on the doorpost, I will pass over you. A great picture. <laughs> not by accident. It's kind of funny how all that just falls together, isn't it? No, it's... It's not by accident. That's a great picture of our salvation in Christ. The blood of Christ applied to us. So, the Passover meal commemorates their deliverance from Egypt, but it also looks forward to or pictures our deliverance from sin and death through the substitutionary atonement provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. The cross that we were singing about a few moments ago. And uh, as we saw in our Sunday school lesson this morning, that, that phrase, a lot of times when you, when you read about the cross, like, uh, matter of fact, I was sitting there reading uh, Galatians, uh, Galatians 6.14. Um, I was just sitting there reading it when, when uh, Hannah started singing. And, 
And of course, the end of that song uh, is is derived from there. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, this is the only thing he will boast in, the cross of Christ. <clears throat> but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a reference to the atoning work of Christ. And summed up in that little phrase, the cross is, is the gospel. The life, suffering, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. The giving of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The sanctifying work of the Spirit. And ultimately our, our glorification. All of those blessings we have in Christ are purchased at the cross at Calvary by the true Lamb, Jesus Christ, who was slain for the sins of the world, for all those who would believe on Him. So that's what Paul means. He's, I'm, I'm going to boast. If I, I'm not going to boast in anything except the atoning work of Christ. It's what Christ, what Christ has done for me. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So this is where we're headed um, in our passage today. The, the very, uh, I mean, we're not, we're not, I don't quite make it there today, but I'm just saying we're headed that direction. Jesus is going to the cross. This is the context. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's finishing up uh, his final Passover um, with the disciples. And again, in it uh, is pictured in the Passover meal, is pictured their deliverance from Egypt, a commemoration of that, and also a picture of his substitutionary work at Calvary, which he is. Which is imminent. I mean, he is about to do it. So, uh, for their, in their case, it's it's looking forward even to the cross. When when we participate in the Lord's Supper, um, we're again looking back on the work of Christ on the cross, showing His death till He comes, and I think also looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we'll all sit down, like Lazarus did, when Lazarus, when Lazarus was raised from the dead in John 11, and the next time you find Lazarus, uh, he is seated at table with Jesus in John 12. And that's going to be true of us as well. We are raised and then forever at table with Jesus, feasting in His presence. So, here you have a combination of the Passover meal and the institution of the Lord's Supper in the previous verses. Again, we talked about that last week, but I just wanted to uh, give a little bit of a recount there uh, for the sake of context. And Jesus is now on the way to the cross, totally aware of what lies ahead. Every Everything from the betrayals and the denials, which we're going to see in a moment, Everything from the, from the betrayals and the denials to the agony and the suffering and even the glory set before Him. Jesus is totally aware. And we can only imagine um, for the Lord to sit there 
and participate in that Passover, knowing that he is about to be the lamb, that he is about to be slaughtered, as it were, for our sins. And he's not getting up and running. He's not backing down. He is steadily moving toward toward the cross. Now, verse 30 says, this this is at the end of the Passover meal. They've, They've just completed this. Verse 30 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, what, what they did uh, during the Passover and still do was sing the Hallel, which is um, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And at this point in the meal, they would probably have, have been um, singing or, or uh, like a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, what was the word? Like a cadence type thing, you know. I mean, it's antiphony, I think, is the the technical term. But, it, but anyways, what we would call like a responsive reading, and that's what we that's why I did what we did earlier, because the the Lord being being the head, being the head of the table, the head of the leader of the meal, would have read or quoted the verses, and the disciples would have responded Hallelujah after each line or after each verse. Psalm 115 through 118, which we, we only did uh, 115. And so that's, that is likely what is meant in verse 30 when it says they, they sung a hymn. It, it wasn't, are you washed in the blood or our or victory in Jesus or something like that. That's what we tend to think of, you know, or a uh, mighty fortress is our God. None of those had been writ, written yet, okay? At this time. And what they did, how they worshiped, they sang, they sang the Psalms. And, and again, Particularly at the Passover, it was Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, the Hallel. Now, <clears throat> that word just means praise, the Hallel. And, and the word Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, as the leader is, is giving the, the lines, Jesus in this case, they are responding, praise the Lord. As they're, as they're, as they're uh, now just finished with the meal con- commemorating their deliverance from Egypt and also the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, which they, I'm, they don't understand at this point, but which, which symbolizes the Lord's death until He comes. And they're, they're repeating, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. That is, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Verse 31. Now, this is where it gets hard. This, this, is, this has been a, a, a celebratory feast, no doubt, other than, the, other than the part played out with Judas, which I don't think they were all aware of here. In fact, you know, we're told they thought when Judas left to go betray Christ, they thought that he was going to maybe give some money to the poor or buy uh, some more food for the, uh, for the feast. The whole feast lasts seven days. And so, uh, they don't know what's going on there. So, it's a celebratory thing as it's meant to be, but now it gets hard. Jesus says in verse 31, that here's, here is uh, Jesus' prediction, okay? Jesus' prediction. said to them, 
you will all fall away because of me this night. You will all fall away because of me this night. Now, you, you picture them sitting around the table and, and the, uh, the, the, the intimacy that is, that is normal when, you, when you're doing that. And even in our day, a lot of times, you know, we, that's, a, that's a great way to have really good fellowship is around the table. And I'm sure that's our motive when we have the uh, meals here at the church. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. It's good fellowship, isn't it? You sit around and you eat together and you talk. And, and then on top of that, this is not just a, uh, this is not just a casual fellowship. They're, they're, they're um, commemorating the Lord's work, God's mighty work, and bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And here they are um, in, in close fellowship, intimate fellowship with their Lord. And now He looks at them and says, You will all fall away because of Me this night. Now, the word fall away there, um, in the Old King James, I think it's translated uh, be offended. Um, so, some of your, your translations will have something along those lines. Um, it's, 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 it's the word from which we get our word scandal. You'll, you'll be scandalized. You'll all be scandalized at me tonight. Offended. You'll all fall away. And it's interesting, the next sentence starts with this word for. It gives the connotation that um, there's a reason behind this. It must be, right? It's got to happen this way. There's a reason for it. You'll all fall away from me this night for it is written. Brothers and sisters, God is in control. That's one reason it's good to know that God's way is always better. If you're fighting and resisting God, and if you, if you are determined to have things your own way, and I think this is why I've always preferred driving, for example, uh, uh, in contrast to getting on an airplane, you know, because I'm not in control of the thing. you really got to trust somebody else and hope they paid attention when they went to flight school. And, you know, hope they haven't been drinking uh, something other than maybe coffee. Um, I mean, I just read, uh, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I just read. <laughs> I just want to show you there's some logic behind my position, okay? No. I just read an article the other day. Uh, there's, a, there's a Canadian liner on its way uh, from Canada to somewhere in Europe. And the, the, uh, the first officer, who I was like the co-pilot, I guess, he woke up from a nap, and he saw Venus and thought it was an oncoming plane and sent the plane into a nosedive. All the passengers into the roof, like one of those old... Uh, and then the captain, when he realized what was going on, he grabbed the controls and yanked it back because there was a military jet below them that now they're on course to, you know, to collide with it. So he yanks it back, sends the plane up, and all the passengers into the floor. <laughs> so... That's why I drive, okay? Um, I want to I wanna be in control. Of course, it's difficult to drive across the ocean, so I haven't, haven't done that yet. <clears throat> but that's really kind of, kind of, a, a, of an illusion, isn't it? That if, if I'm at the wheel, I'm in control. Because it's really not true. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe in one sense, you know, just from a human perspective, okay, you've got control of your car, but I don't have control of everybody else's car out there. 
And I don't even have control of mine in many ways. I mean, what if the tire blows out or something like that? It's an illusion. And that's the way, if we're not careful, that's the way we, we live out life. We think, uh, you know, I'm in control. So if you're determined to be in control and you're, you're resistant to the idea that God is in control, then this is a problem. But if you understand that God's way is always better, if you understand that God does what He does for us for our good, and that God knows that even some of the good things that we desire are not the best thing for us. And so He orders things accordingly, and His way is always better. If we were seated at the table with Jesus this night, this is one of the last things you want to hear is that you're all going to be scandalized. You're all going to fall away from Me tonight. You're going to run like scared rabbits. And you're going to be offended. Again, that's the word, scandalized. It's not merely that they're going to forsake the Lord, although they, they are. But it's not merely that. But it's, they're, they're offended at, what, at what's happening. They don't like what's going on. But Jesus says, this is the way it has to be. For it is written. Now that verb there, uh, written, graphe, is, is in the perfect tense. It's a very strong word, and this is the way Scripture is commonly referred to in Scripture. It is written. That's kind of the formula they, they will use when they, when they uh, speak about Scripture. It is written. It literally is, is kind of the idea of, like, it stands written. It's fixed. It's, it's down. It's solid. It's concrete. It's happened. It's kind of like we say, take it to the bank. Or, you know, you sign here, you sign the contract, and it's done, right? It's written. You've signed off on it. It stands written. Jesus said, you're all going to fall away from me, for it is written. And the, the perfect tense of the verb there, we, we, again, that got brought out in Sunday school too because of something else we were looking at. But it's the idea of something done in the past, completed in the past, with abiding results. And it's the same tense that Jesus used when He cried out from the cross, it is finished. It's done and it doesn't have to be repeated. It's done in the past with abiding results. And that's the way Jesus is speaking of Scripture here and the, and the other Scripture writers do. It is written. It stands written. It was written in the past and it has abiding results. Well, what was written? And he quotes here from Zechariah. It is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus says, you're, you're going to all fall away from me tonight because it's been pre-recorded. That's amazing, isn't it? It's like, you know, we, we, we work hard. I mean, if we, if we want to be honest, we, we work hard to record history accurately. 
You know, we want to relate things the way they really happen. And so, and, and now, you know, that's that, and I guess it's sort of gotten easier. I mean, we got so such easy access to <clears throat> video recorders and audio recorders and so forth. And something is done, and then you can say, okay, it's recorded. We, we've got it down. It's recorded. Well, he's saying, well, what's about to happen is recorded. It's going to happen for it is written. Because it's recorded in Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke this as he was moved by God. He said, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Scattered abroad. That's Jesus' prediction. You're all going to you're all going to be offended. You're all going to be scandalized. You're all going to fall away. And then verse thirty-two, um, he gives some hope here, or, or a promise of restoration. You're all going to fall away, but verse thirty-two says, "After I am raised up, I will go before you." To Galilee, so there, there's a picture there of a reunion type. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to, it's going to be kind of like it is now. We're going to go back to Galilee. I'm going to go before you there. So we're going, you're going to be scandalized. You're going to be offended. But then, after I'm raised up, our our relationship's going to be restored. And you got to remember, all through this, Jesus has already four times predicted his. Death and and they're not getting it. So even here, you know, when he talks about being raised up, it's it's not. It's interesting, isn't it? Because he's telling them plain and simple. Here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to be delivered over to the to the to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and I'm going to be I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And third day I'm going to be raised again. And here he says, and after I'm raised up, I'll go before you in Galilee. So he's laying it out for them, and they're not getting it. But in a sense, that's okay. Because when it all plays out, they'll get it. I think about that a lot of times when we're talking about eschatology, uh, the end times and end time events. And there are all kinds of different opinions on end time events. I'm pretty sure when it really happens, we'll get it. <laughs> if we're still here. But those of us that are still here are, you know, the ones that are still here. Okay. Um, so, so they're not they're not getting it all, but there is a promise here of restoration, which is going to be very important. Now, here comes um, that's Jesus' prediction. Here's Peter's presumption, and, and you know, and we're going to focus in on Peter. He's he's like all, always the one that's just first to speak. He speaks up quickly, but you'll see in the text that. Um, he wasn't really the only one that was thinking this way. Verse 35 says, and all the disciples said the same thing. So, um, anyway, but what, was, what were they saying? What were they doing? Well, in verse 33, Peter speaks up. Peter answered him, that is, he answered Jesus, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And you see how, how quick he is and how presumptuous he is? and That's one reason the Scripture says, you know, be, be quick to hear be slow to speak. Because we don't know our own heart. 
And because God knows what He's talking about. When He says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so Peter says, look, Lord, I hear you, but I'm telling you, though every other man in this room is going to prove to be a wimp, I'm with you to the end. And when you go down, I'm going down with you. Though they all fall, though they're all offended, all scandalized because of you, I will never fall away. Now, now think about this this way. Do you think, it's an honest question, and you don't, I mean, you don't have to answer it out loud or anything like that, but just, do you think that Peter is a hypocrite here, or do you think that he is honestly speaking from his heart? My answer to that would be, I think he's honestly speaking from his heart. And I think his actions are going to show that, even though they're, again, it's very misguided, very misguided thinking, but I think he's speaking from the heart. He's thinking, Lord, I'll die for you. Everybody else may be offended, but I'll die for you. That's what he goes on to say. Let's just read on through the rest of it. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So there's another prediction. Jesus first states plainly, this includes Peter in verse 31, he doesn't want to think it does, but it does. You will all fall away. And now, Peter has, has rejected that idea, contradicts the Lord. Though they all fall, I will never fall away. So Jesus speaks to Peter directly now. Truly I tell you this, in verse 34, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And we're not going to get there this morning. We'll see that later. But... Here's Peter's response to that. Peter said to him in verse 35, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And they're, they're speaking the truth. I mean, insofar as just speaking their heart. This, this is what I think they believe. And we see that further on in the chapter when they, when they come to arrest Jesus. Peter cuts off the ear of the high high priest's servant, Malchus. I'm just going to guess here, but Peter whacks his ear off. I'm thinking he's not aiming for his ear. I'm thinking he's aiming for his skull. He was just a little off. I mean, what I'm saying is he's ready to kill for Jesus. We're, we're going to see that. He's ready to fight for Jesus. What he's not ready to do is live for Jesus according to God's way. And he's, he's ready to fight for Jesus. He's not ready to trust Jesus. And God's way is better. Jesus is saying, this is the way it's going to happen. You're all going to fall away. And then you're later, you're all going to be restored. I will go before you in Galilee. I'm going to see you again after I'm raised from the dead. It's going to be, going to be all the difference in the world once sin is conquered. 
And I'm going to go before you in Galilee. And so it's, it, he's saying these things so that they will have hope and not despair. And Peter's saying, and, and don't miss the pride in this. I mean, Peter is saying, no, Lord, um, no, that's not good. We don't like that method. Now, I'm not going to fall away. <laughs> Lord, I mean, I've been with you three and a half years. I would think you would know me by now. But I'm with you to death. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go whatever you want, wherever you want me to go. Well, fine. Then, then it's going to mean going by way of the cross. And Peter's thinking, no, no, I don't think that's, I don't think that's a good option. And in reality, it's the only option. If Jesus doesn't go to the cross, there's no hope for Peter. Or John, Andrew, any of there's no hope for you, there's no hope for me if Jesus doesn't go to the cross. Jesus knows what's best, and He knows that things must play out according to the Scripture. He must be the Lamb of God led to slaughter. He must be the Lamb of God, the suffering servant, forsaken by all. You're all going to fall away, every one of you, because it's written. This is the way it's got to happen. This is God's plan. This is God-ordained. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And this is the right way and this is the best way because it's God's way. His way is better. And He knows our hearts. Peter is, is, is full of pride and self-will and he's, he is deceived into thinking that uh, he, he is willing to die and He'll show us that. But I, I think he's thinking, I'll do whatever, Lord. But it's not true. He won't do whatever, if whatever means pulling a sword and fighting the Romans and the, and the, the priest servant, okay, he's ready to do that. But if whatever means suffering and death, humiliation, at this point, he's not ready to do that. And do you see the simple application there? Where Jesus wants us is where we are really ready for whatever. So that we say like Paul, so that our heart cries out like Paul, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Paul's heart was, I, I, I want Christ so bad and all that Christ has for me so bad. That I want to be a partaker in the power of His resurrection to which we all say hallelujah and amen. But Paul goes on to say, I want Him so bad that I want to be a partaker in His suffering. You say, oh, well, probably what Paul meant there was that he wants to benefit from the suffering of Christ. Well, definitely he wants to benefit from the suffering of Christ. That's not what he means there. 
He, he means he wants to join in on it. And he himself be made conformable to the death of Christ. Paul's line of thinking is this. If suffering was glory for the Lord, then is the servant better than his master? No. And Peter wasn't wasn't ready to go anywhere. At this point, it's going to change. But at this point, he's, he's really not ready to live for Christ in that way. That is, in a way that he's willing to do whatever God's will is. He still thinks he has better ideas. And I fear that that's the case too often with us. I was listening to a pastor speak, an audio thing I was listening to from the Together for the Gospel conference last week. And he related a story. <clears throat> the pastor is Ligon Duncan. He's also a teacher over here in Jackson, Mississippi at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. And he related a story about one of his students. young couple had a little boy at six years of age. The little boy was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Broke their hearts, of course. And he said this young man had to sit his son down at six years of age and say, Son, you're not going to live long like a lot of other boys do. And Daddy can't help you here. And he just began to teach him, you know, about the Lord and to trust in the Lord. And he said roughly a year later, the boy is, of course, seven years old now, and he got an email from the father. And he was all excited because the boy was, in his words, showing real signs of regeneration. He said he's reading four chapters a day in his Bible. He's seven years old and he's reading four chapters a day. He, and he loves God's Word. And, he, and he, really, he really seems to love God and understand the Gospel. And he said the, the last sentence of the email was, I'd rather have my son born again than well. God's way is best. God's way is best. And Christ knows our heart. He's the heart knower. He knows if, if, if that's where our heart is or not. He knows our weakness. Psalm 103.14 says, For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust.
He knows our desires. He knows whether they line up with His will or not. He knows exactly how we will respond in a given situation, just like we see with Peter here. He knows who we really are. The very core of our being. John 2, 23-25 says, Many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. So, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know if you're pursuing holiness or not. I don't know if you're pursuing Him or not with all your might. I don't know if you really desire. Like I said, often many of us say things like, we'll go anywhere, do anything. I I don't know. Even when we say that, I don't know if we mean it. But Jesus knows. He knows. He knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly who we are, what we are. He knows what's best for us. And and wherever, again, this is the main things I want to take from this. Wherever you are, trust Him because He knows what's best. His way is better. His way is better. Trust Him. And He knows your heart. So again, trust Him. Don't, don't trust your heart. You know, the world says, follow your heart. <laughs> don't, follow, don't follow your heart. If, if, if you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, then follow your heart, okay? But that's, that's probably not the case. So, so trust Him. Trust Him. His way is better. He knows our heart. All that leaves us to do is trust Him. Trust Him. Would you stand, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.